Hey, local church, it's good to uh, be with you again. Uh, such a privilege to be able to share the word of the Lord uh, today with everyone online. Uh, my name is Tim Clausen. Again, uh, uh, I've preached once before, but perhaps you missed that one. I'm just so excited to be able to share what God has put on my heart uh, for today in this message. And I'm just going to uh, read some scripture and then we'll, we'll dive right in. So we're going to start off in uh, Judges chapter 6, uh, verses 11 to 17. It says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, If now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Skipping over to Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, it says, To them, the saints in Christ, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I'm just going to pray and then uh, we'll jump right in. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for how you speak to us. Thank you for how you reveal your heart for people, how you reveal your plans and your purposes. And Lord, I just pray that this, this time you would speak in this time, Lord, and reveal what you have for each and every one of us in Jesus' name. So we meet this guy, Gideon, and he's threshing wine, uh, grain in a wine press which is a very curious thing for him to be doing. Clearly, he was under a lot of duress. The Midianites, who had come against Israel, um, had uh, pillaged them, would come in and would take away all of their grain, all of their, their food, and they would leave them starving. So here's Gideon in a wine press. Now, a wine press, we, you might not know what it is, but in those days, it was actually a pit in the ground. They would dig it out, they would bring the, the grapes over, they would, they would drop them in, and they would press the, the grapes there and they'd have a deeper pit on the side where the, the juice would flow down into that deeper pit. And that's where they would, would scoop it out and, and work with it into the vats from there and it would become wine. So he was in, in this pit, dug into the ground, and he's threshing out grain. Now, threshing out grain, we don't understand you know, these images uh, that much in our culture. But in that time, threshing out grain would mean they're separating the grain from the chaff. Uh, I grew up on a, a grain farm and we, we had uh, wheat that we would grow. And sometimes I would take some, some heads of, of grain um, and you just roll them in your hand and you kind of would, would drop it from one hand to the other. And as the wind would blow across, the, the seeds would fall 
blow and the chaff would blow away. Well, this is what threshing out the grain was. In a, in a, a large amount of it, they would do the same thing. They would throw it up and they would uh, see the wind blow it, the chaff away and they'd get the grain. Well, here's Gideon trying to do this in a pit, which doesn't make a lot of sense because a pit doesn't have any wind. The, it, it's in the ground and for that purpose, um, it's a very curious thing that he would be trying to thresh grain in a, in a wine press. Um, I just felt like the fear that came over the Israelites in this time um, caused them to do foolish things. You know, fear will sometimes result in foolish attempts at survival. It, 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 there's so much fear, it's like, I don't know what to do, and you do something foolish. Here's Gideon, he's trying to thresh grain in a pit, and, and it just it doesn't make any sense and it doesn't work. I believe that there's a bit of an imagery here that, that the Bible's actually giving us. We see, you know, when Jesus was with the disciples at, uh, at the Last Supper, um, they had grain and wine. They had bread and wine. And the bread was a representation of his body, and the wine was the blood and also a representation of the Holy Spirit that was going to come. And so I feel like there's an imagery here in Gideon where the grain is the flesh, the wine is the spirit, and he's trying to get what is only, can only come by the spirit through the flesh. He's in a wine press, which represents the spirit, and he's got grain, which is the flesh. He's, he's trying to get wine from grain, essentially. He's trying to get the power, but he's doing it in the flesh. And we're going to see a bit more of that uh, picture as we, as we go through, um, through the, the message this morning. In Galatians chapter 3, uh, Paul's writing to the Galatians. He says, let me ask you this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? So there's this church and they, and they launched into their faith with excitement, with passion, with the, with the power of the Holy Spirit. And he's saying to them, why are you now trying to achieve in the flesh? He says, are you so foolish having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? In your own strength, you're now trying to achieve what's actually been given to you as a gift. You're trying to earn it. You're trying to step into the, the gifts of God, the, the calling of God upon your life, but you're doing it in your flesh, not in the, the power of the Spirit. Remember how you started. It's the, the Spirit of God that has brought you uh, into the kingdom, and it's Him that's going to lead you on into His fullness. This encounter that Gideon has with this angel called the angel of the Lord is a very interesting uh, term. The term angel of the Lord, many scholars believe that that actually refers to appearances of Jesus Christ prior to his uh, incarnation um, and and coming as a a child. That that Jesus, as we know, pre-existed with God from the very beginning, from before the beginning. He's eternal with God. And even at creation, God says, let us make man in our own image. So Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were present. So these these times where the angel of the Lord uh, comes to meet with people, many scholars believe that that's actually Jesus himself coming and meeting with those people. And it's, it's interesting as we go through the passage, it actually changes from the angel of the Lord to just the Lord. The Lord says to Gideon. And so what we call these things is a Christophany. So Gideon here isn't just speaking to, or likely isn't just speaking to an angel, but is speaking to Jesus himself and, and is responding to the word of the Lord that is, is coming to him. 
Now, how does he respond? What, what does Gideon say? So here, here he is threshing up this grain in this pit and this uh, angel of the Lord or, or Jesus shows up and says to him, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Now, what is there of valor that, that Gideon is doing? Or in other uh, translations, it says mighty warrior. What is he doing? He's not doing anything that, that says he's a mighty warrior. So the word that's coming to him is coming from the Lord. It's not coming from, from his experience. It's not coming from, from what he's doing. And he hears this word. And what is, how does he respond? He responds with his complaint. He responds with a gripe. The Lord greets Gideon with this, with this statement about him being a mighty man of valor. And Gideon responds by saying, okay, fine. If the Lord's with us, then what's going on? Like, why is this all happening? doesn't make any sense. God's with us, and yet here we are being oppressed by the Midianites. Where are all his wonderful deeds? Where's the stuff that he's, he's done before that our fathers recounted to us saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? And now he draws his own conclusion based on his observation. He says, ah, the Lord's forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. He he has put all the onus on God and says, God, you're not doing anything about this, so obviously you've given up. You don't care. You're not interested. You had some great plans for us in the past. Obviously, you had intentions. You brought us up out of Egypt. There were some great things. And somehow now, it seems you've given up on, on those plans and you've given up on us. And I guess those plans changed. So he's hopeless. He's, he's faithless. He recalls some of the great moves of God from the past. But then he says, where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us? He's remembering. He's remembering the stories that have been told to him. He's remembering the stories of God's greatness, of God's moves in the past. And remembrance is a powerful tool. What we can remember is such a powerful thing in our lives. There's there's memories that can cause uh, pain, anxiety. There's memories that can cause joy and exhilaration. Uh, we can be triggered into memories by even just a smell that wafts into the room. It can remind us of, of family times together. It can remind us of places we've, we've been to. Memories can bring powerful emotions, but even more than that, memories can bring us into mindsets and understandings and belief systems. And so remembrance is an incredibly powerful tool. God has given us the ability to remember, but it's really important how we use that tool. Because a powerful tool can be used for good or for not good purposes. You know, a, a hammer can be used to build. And yet our van, a number of years ago, was broken into by a man using a hammer to smash the window. So a hammer can be used for a good purpose or not a good. Every tool has the ability that is powerful. Every powerful tool could be a good purpose or a not good purpose. Remembering is a powerful tool. The way that we remember is, is key. So remembering could either stir faith or it could stir discouragement depending on how you wield it. Gideon used remembrance to stir up his discouragement and confirm his faulty belief system. He said, look at the past. It was great. The present is miserable. 
Therefore, God has forgotten us. He's in the good old days mindset. And it's easy for people to fall into the good old days mindset, remembering the great things of the past, forgetting all of the not great things or just cutting them out of the story because we don't want to uh, go over those again and again and replay the, the negatives. But as a result, we get this uh, rose-colored glasses about the past. And we're not able to recognize that it should lead us to faith if, it, if we allow it to lead us to discouragement and say, oh, but look at what's happening now. Look at how, how little is going on now. Why is it not like it, it was in the past? This is Gideon's mindset, and the result of his mindset is that he's discouraged and hopeless. And I just want to encourage you that, that we need to look to the past, and we need to use those as fuel for our faith. Because what the past tells us, when we look at what God has done in the past, that should fuel our faith and say, if he's done it before, he'll do it again. God has not changed. What he has done before, he'll do it again, and he will bring increase. God is the God of increase. And what he has done before, he wants to bring and do again in a new way, in a fresh way. It's going to look a little bit different, but it's going to come with new power and it's going to come with increase. The, the, the purposes of God on the earth are increasing and overflowing. What he's done before, he wants to do again. And I just want to run through some, some quick uh, summaries of things in the past. I mean, if you don't know what God has done before, find out, you know, talk to people, ask them for their stories. Any testimony that someone has is something you can claim and say, God, I want that for me. You're, you're the same. Uh, yesterday, today, and forever. You are no respecter of persons. You're not you know, spe special people that you treat in a special way. Uh, you treat all your children with your love and your abundance. And if there's a way that you moved or a way that you spoke or, or a way that you intervened in someone else's life, I can claim that and walk in faith and say, Lord, I want to encounter you that way. I want to experience you that way. I want to see your faithfulness that way. I want to see you provide uh, for me in, in that way. There's revivals that we, we stand on in the past. And, and I just go through a quick summary. There's so many different moves of God. And, and this is really, you know, just ones that we're aware of in our, in our Western um, culture. But even just within, within the last several hundred years, there's so many different uh, revivals, you know, starting with Pentecost, obviously, but then even prior to the Reformation, there's John Huss and, and the Moravian revival. There's the Reformation of, of the 1500s with Martin Luther. There's the First Great Awakening in the United States and England in the 1700s. There's the Second Great Awakening, as it's called, in the, in the mid-1800s. There's the Welsh revival and the Azusa Street revival in the early 1900s that, that spawned the, the Pentecostal uh, movement. There's the healing revivals of the uh, 1940s and 50s. Um, there's the Jesus People movement in the, in the 1970s, coming out of the hippies, where, where God moved in that culture and, and brought so many people who didn't have hope, were discouraged, and brought them into a, a faith that was, was powerful and had hope for the future. There's what's called the third wave or charismatic renewal in the 1980s or the, the, the Toronto blessing and the Argentina revival in the, the 1990s. There's, um, in, in the 2000s, there's been uh, web networks and house churches and worship permeating the church. And I believe that the pieces are in place for the next move of God that will be 
a worldwide move that exceeds all previous moves because it's the nature of God. It's who he is. It's what he said he will do. He has declared that the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the water covers the sea. So I believe that we stand on the shoulders of generations of, of saints that have gone before us, have, have walked in faith, have prayed, have persevered, have seen God move in amazing ways that, that gives us uh, the, the foundation of faith that we stand on, that the things that we do, um, the awareness that we have, the, the theology that we carry, the revelation that God has poured out upon us has come through our, our fathers and grandfathers that have gone before us. And we all have a, a faith heritage. Even if you, you have just been the first generation that's come into the church within you, what, what you know of in your family line, there is a faith heritage for you. God has been moving and has brought you in and you're a part of the, the family of God. So Gideon remembers the stories he heard. he's heard, but he takes those stories and he accuses God of having given up on Israel. He, he believes that God has given up on him, that God has given up on them. Have you ever felt like God has given up on you? It's easy sometimes for us to, to blame our problems on uh, the lack of a rescue from God. Why hasn't God rescued me? Why hasn't he done something? Is God, is God really in control? It, we shift the responsibility to him and it, it can sound so convincing when we say, well, if God is in control, why is this happening? And we end up in a, in a dichotomy. We end up in a, a quandary because either he's in control and he wants this to be happening, he's agreeing with, with, what's, in, with what's happening, or he's not in control. We kind of end up with those, those two options. Is he in control or isn't he? And if he is, he must be agreeing with what's happening because look what's happening. And, and it becomes this quandary of what do I do with this? Is God in control or isn't he? And so this, this question of control, I think, is, is very, very important for us to understand. It's, it's very important for Gideon to understand because at this point, he didn't understand it. He thought, okay, we're oppressed by the Midianites. God must have given up on us. <clears throat> That's his conclusion. But it's a faulty conclusion. It's not true. It's true that the Midianites were oppressing him, that, that they, they were uh, pillaging the nation. So, you know, is God in control or isn't he? And the answer is he is, but he chooses not to act. This is, this is what I propose, that he is, but he chooses not to act on his control in ways that corrupt the free will that he has placed in humanity. You see, God has created free will in mankind. It's something that is so precious to him because it's the, the freedom of, of mankind's autonomy that has created the ability for relationship. Apart from, from freedom and autonomy, there's no room for relationship. It's, it's, just, it's, it's just an automaton. It's not autonomy. And the result is that we, uh, we would not have the ability to engage relationally with God apart from free will. And so God is so careful to guard that. In the Garden of Eden, he made a way for Adam and Eve to have freedom to choose. They chose poorly. But that freedom is so precious to him 
that he does not remove it from us. Even in redemption, he does not remove the freedom that we have to actually own our own decisions, to own our own choices. We own our, our, our failures and our sins. We come to him and because of what Jesus has done, we're able to unload that burden. He said, I'll take it from you. We still have to own it in the sense that we say, yes, Lord, I, I need you. I need your forgiveness. I need your redemption. But we don't have to carry it anymore. We can unload it on him. And, and he's the one that will take it from us and say, I'm going to give you something far greater in return. You see, God is so careful that he will not corrupt the free will that he has placed in humanity. However, he does intervene direct and sometimes strongly. You know, and, and at times the will of some is opposed because there's a conflict going on. There's, there's conflicting will uh, happening, obviously. Uh, there's a conflict that we live in the middle of. So to say that everything that happens is God's will is to neglect the fact that there is a, a war, a spiritual war at play. Um, God is moving on the earth to bring redemption, to bring freedom, to bring his glory. But there are many things happening that are not of him. You see, God has created a partnership with humans. This is a great mystery. So there's a third option. It's not just, is God in control or, and agreeing with everything, or is he not in control? He is in control, but he has chosen to limit himself in how he exerts that. So he does not always agree with what is happening, but he wants to partner with us to bring deliverance. This is the mystery of the gospel. Not only has he forgiven us, but he's invited us in. He's invited us to be part of, of his purposes on the earth, to bring the glory of God everywhere that we go. Acts 10 says Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. You see, God's will wasn't for all of those things to be happening, all the, the oppression by the devil, because Jesus came and, and was healing people from it. He was releasing them from it. Jesus was coming in and demonstrating that partnership that God wants to have with each and every one of us. God came to Gideon and wanted a partnership with him to set Israel free. His intentions were not to have Israel oppressed by the Midianites. He had not given up on them. He had not given up on his purposes, not in the least. And he comes to Gideon, he says, mighty man of valor, you will save Israel from the Midianites. You will be the one that will lead them. You see, what, what Gideon forgot in his remembering, what he left out, was that there were individuals involved. There were people, there were groups of people involved that led the people out of Egypt. Yes, God did the miracles. God parted the Red Sea. God, you know, moved with the, the pillar of, of light. God poured out those, those plagues on Egypt to, uh, to break the, the bondage of the Israelites. He, God did his part, but there were people involved. There was Moses, there was Aaron. There was Joshua when they came into the, the promised land. Uh, there were people involved. Moses had to stretch out his staff and God parted the Red Sea. It was a partnership. It seems like, you know, our part can be so, so minimal, almost ludicrous. I mean, Moses stretched out a staff. That's it. That's, that's what he did. 
But he stretched it out in faith. And he stretched it out with the, the power of God behind him, the word of the Lord behind him. And the result was that the waters parted. You could stand there a thousand times and, and stretch your staff out over that water and the waters wouldn't part if the, if the Lord wasn't in it. But when the Lord is in it, you stretch out your staff and the water parts. This is, this is how God wants to partner with us. In Luke 10, verses 1 and 2, uh, says this, uh, Jesus appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field. The Lord of the harvest. He needs harvesters. You see, Jesus sent the 72 where? Ahead of him. He sent them where he was about to go. He sent the 72 to the places where he wanted to go, where he was ready to move into. He sent men and women ahead of him. I'd, I'd like to say that if God has sent you somewhere, maybe he wants to come there. Maybe he sent you ahead of him. You, you might be in a, a new job, in a new city, in a new environment and and you're like what am i doing here what's going on there's like i don't see i don't see the move of god around me what what am i doing here i don't see his his fruitfulness i don't see his purposes but maybe you're there you've gone ahead of him he's like i i want you to prepare the ground for me i want you to pray over that place i want you to to believe and and make declarations in faith i want you to speak to people and and release the goodness of my love that is in you into that place. The Lord has sent you. Sometimes he sent you ahead of him. And he's saying, where you go, that's where I want to go. Where I've sent you, where, where I've put you, I want you to go. He wants to come there. So getting back to Gideon, he, he expresses his complaint. He says, you know, all these moves have happened before, but you've obviously given up on us with, with the Lord standing right in front of him. The Lord's unmoved by this. He doesn't even respond to it. You know, kind of takes all of this complaint, sort of bounces off. And then it says, the Lord turns to Gideon and says, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. He is completely unmoved by Gideon's complaint. And all he says is, go in this might of yours. Go. I am sending you to save Israel from the hand of Midian. The Lord has given Gideon a commission here. He's got a, a purpose. It's like, you're going to go do something. I have an intention for you. You're not going to just stay here in this wine press. You're not just going to hide away from these people and try and save yourself. You're not in a survival mindset. You are in a deliverance mindset. I'm shifting your mindset right now. And as he speaks, I believe there's something that's starting to break in Gideon's mind. He's coming strongly against this, this defeatist perception that Gideon has about himself and about his own nation, about his own family, about his own tribe. You know, he listed off, oh, our tribe is the worst and our family's the worst and then I'm the worst. It, 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 it is breaking down that, that wrong narrative 
that Gideon has created for himself. And God is saying, I'm giving you a commission. I'm giving you something amazing and powerful that I want to do through you. And so when Gideon hears this, he shifts his complaint. So it's almost like he's, he's giving up on, the, okay, maybe you do have good purposes for us still. However, he says, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father. How? Okay, you've got great ideas, but I can't do this. It's not me. I'm, I'm not able to be the one that would do this. So Gideon now is focused not on the, the failure of God um, in, in the nation, but his own failures. He's now focused on his own limitations, the limitations of his own flesh, uh, rather than the power of the one who stands before him. He's still trying to achieve in the flesh what can only be achieved through the power of God, through the Holy Spirit. Gideon had an identity that was the exact opposite of what the Lord was now saying to him. Where did he get this identity from? Where, why did he think, you know, we're the worst and I'm the worst? Where, where did this idea come from? Did he get it from his parents, his culture, his life experience? Was it just his own internal narrative? Like, did, did he just come up with this based on, on his own assessment of things around him? His own perception uh, of himself stood opposed to the purposes of God in his life. And this is, this is critical uh, because I believe that as we live in this world and as, as we live whatever amount of time apart from God and then we come to, our fa- to faith in Christ, there's a lot of perceptions and ideas and thinking that can be ungodly in the sense that it's untrue. It's not accurate. It doesn't match up with what God says about us. You know, who do you think you are? It's the title of this message. Who do you think you are? What is, what is that internal conviction? What is that belief system? What is that narrative that, that we're telling ourselves? And who told you that? You know, where did that come from? Did it come from the Lord? Did it come from uh, your encounters with him? Did it come from his word? Is your, is your view of yourself rooted in what the Father in heaven says about you? Or does it come from somewhere else? From a, a relationship, a parent that, that, that maybe didn't see things from God's perspective? Did it come from a spouse, a coworker, an employer? But we need to understand that sometimes the perception we have of ourselves is opposed to what God actually wants to do through us. So who do we think we are and who told us that? Where did we get it from? Very important questions. And I, I just love the response of the Lord in this passage. So here's Gideon saying, I, I can't do this. I'm not, I'm not able. It, it's too much for me. But the Lord said to him, but I will be with you. But I will be with you. It, it's a beautiful moment. The Lord is saying to Gideon, okay, maybe, maybe you aren't the you know, cream of the crop in the nation. He's not even addressing that because he's, he's basically saying it doesn't really matter. You, you might be the least of the least. You might be 
the greatest, the GOAT. Maybe. But all of that actually doesn't matter. Because the only way that you will be able to, to step into what I have for you is because I'm with you. I will be with you, the Lord says. Jesus said the same thing to the, the disciples before his ascension. There, there's the, the great commission where he says, you know, I'm sending you to make disciples of all nations. But at the end of it, he says, and I am with you always. You see, the, con the, the confidence that we have as we step out into the, the purposes of God in our lives, to see his glory come, to see his, his redemption be released around us, is simply that he is with us. I am with you. At this point, Gideon is being broken down. All of his, his false belief systems are, are being knocked down by the words of the Lord coming to him. And, and he's still not certain. At this point, he, he starts asking for a sign that the favor of the Lord is upon him. So, you know, he's gone through, okay, maybe you are for us. Okay, you're with me, or, or you're, you're breaking down my belief system about myself. However, I want to know that you're going to come through. I, I, I need to know that when I do this, you're actually going to come through for me. I, I want to know that your favor is upon me. And so the Lord is really patient with, with Gideon in this time and works through and breaks down these fears and, and uncertainties that Gideon carries in order to launch him into an amazing, amazing uh, purpose that brings redemption for the entire nation. And I, I feel like the Lord is, is really wanting to let everybody who hears this today understand that God has favored you. Don't look at someone else and say, oh, they're so favored of God. Oh, look what he, God's done through them. He's, he really has special favor for them. No, the Lord is saying, I favored you. I have, I, I have incredible intentions for you. Jesus started there. Jesus is our, our model in this. In Mark chapter 1, verses 9 to 11, when Jesus was baptized, the Father said to him, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Before Jesus ever began his public ministry, the Father established Jesus in his identity and his security and his acceptance, his favor. He said, I am with you. I have favored you. You're my beloved son. There's such a great need, I believe, for the children of God to know who they are. So we're talking about who, who do you think you are? Well, I want to tell you what God is saying about you in Scripture. I, I want to encourage you this morning or this afternoon in what the Lord is saying about his, his children and that, that he is not only on the few, but he is there for each and every one of us that would come and would believe in him. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, it says to them, and that is the saints in Christ, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of his mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And hope here is confident uh, expectation, a knowledge that it definitely will come to pass. It's the, the faith of, of Hebrews 11, being sure of what we hope for. 
So in this case, Christ in you is the hope of glory. It's like God has made known how great is his riches. His Christ is in you, the hope of glory. And 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You see, in Christ, your sins are forgiven and you are given a new nature. See, Christ didn't just redeem us, forgive us our sins, and leave us there with that same old nature. He said, no, I'm actually making you into a new creation. You're, you're a new being entirely. You're a, you're a new type of human. You're a human that ha- now has the Holy Spirit alive in you, Christ in you. You're a, you're a new creation that is now set up to do great things. You see, in, in 2 Corinthians 5.21, it also says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's, it's our whole identity, our revelation of who we are changes. And we're no longer just sinners saved by grace. That's not actually an accurate description of, of believers. We are sinners who have been redeemed and we're now saints in Christ. We're now set aside for the purposes of God. We've now been given a new purpose, a new anointing, a, a, a new enablement to accomplish the purposes of God in our lives. God is the God of new beginnings, of a fresh start. Behold, he says, I am doing a new thing. If you've ever felt like you're a failure, if you ever felt like, like it's a dead end, if you've felt like you've made too many mistakes or, or just there's too many uh, barriers to achieving anything or, or the things that you dream of even, the Lord is saying to you that I am doing a new thing in you. I have new things planned for you. I am giving you a new identity. You're, you're a new creation. Maybe you've never heard this before. Maybe you've never entered into this, this uh, faith before. Maybe you're, you're hearing this and, and you're just investigating and wondering, what, what is this faith all about? I'm here to tell you that this faith is about a whole new identity, a new belief system, a new understanding, a new, a new you, a new beginning, where the old has passed and the new has come. A fresh start. It can be tricky to, to gain this identity. The old narrative can play in our minds. And, and even though, you know, mentally we can say, oh yeah, that sounds great. When we go back to living our day-to-day life, we, we see patterns that repeat themselves of, of the old person where, where we're, we're still not grasping at the, at the level of affecting our, our lifestyle, our new identity. And so, you know, what are ways that we can help build this new identity into, into our hearts? Well, the first one is to read the Bible. Um, read the Gospels. Uh, the book of Acts, book of Romans, Psalms, uh, letters to the churches, Ephesians especially addresses this very, very well. Second um, Corinthians we, we've referenced uh, today. So look at what scripture says. Allow the Holy Spirit to reveal to you the uh, unredeemed belief systems that you still carry and allow the truth of what he has, of what he wants to do through you and in you um, to be revealed. 
meditate on what Jesus has done for you. You know, think about it. Play it over in your mind. Sometimes when I'm, when I'm out for a run or a walk or whatever, these things will be going through my mind. I'll be thinking about, you know, what, what has God done for me? And it, it changes how we feel and how we think. Um, another thing that we've done in the past is we've had lists of, of uh, you know, what God says about us, just different scripture verses or, or put into um, convenient phrases. And we've had these, we've posted these lists in places so we can see them, so we can read them. We'll even say them out loud. Um, because hearing your own voice saying these things is powerful. You know, find lists of, of who am I in Christ. Um, another way, get with people of faith who will encourage you. You're not going to do this on our own. We're, we're not going to step into the, the new creation in a, in a vacuum, in isolation. We need people around us. We need the encouragement of the body. We need the encouragement of the word of the Lord uh, on Sundays. We need worship times together. We, we just need to be with people. We need to be in small groups that will encourage us and live life with us and call us out and say, hey, wait a minute. You, you're, you, it seems like you're still you know, discouraged or, or just have an you know, unhealthy perception about yourself in this area. Can, can we encourage you in this. It's not what the Lord is saying about you. And then also hear the prophetic words that the Lord speaks over you. You know, when there's an invitation for prayer ministry, go. Go. When, when someone prays and, you, and your spirit recognizes the word of the Lord coming through um, that, that person praying with you, it's a powerful Experience. It's like that time where the, the Gideon had here, where the angel was, angel of the Lord is standing and speaking the truth to him, and it was changing his heart. It was breaking down the the belief systems. And sometimes we don't even know what those are. And all of a sudden, we'll hear somebody say something like, "Whoa, that really hit me," because that was true. And I know that what I've been living in was isn't the truth, isn't the the best that God has for me, isn't isn't His intentions for me. So go, God will meet you. And, and, you know, some, a lot of times I love to, um, when somebody starts to pray, just hit my, my phone and start recording um, what they're saying so that I can actually listen to it again later on. Because in the moment, there's, it's hard to catch it. Uh, you'll, you'll experience it emotionally very often, but it's really nice sometimes to go back and listen to uh, the words and, uh, and actually review that. Um, from the recording. So it's, it's something that was simple. We can do very easily. Just get out the voice memo, hit record, and, and let's, you know, let's treasure the words that the Lord speaks to us. I believe as we hear them and as we uh, remind ourselves of them, they, they change who we are and our, our hearts are transformed. So just a few points to summarize. Um, Going to wrap it up here. First point. And this is where Jesus began in, in his ministry at his baptism. Uh, that is, you are his beloved. Beloved means be loved. It's right in the word, be loved. That is the foundation. You are the beloved of God. He's loved you so much. John 3.16, it's not just a placard for, for sporting events. It is, is the core, the heart of the gospel. John 3.16, for God so loved the world, everyone and everything in it, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. 
In Ephesians 3:18, that uh, Paul's praying, he says, my prayer for you is that you would know how wide and long and high and deep is the love of God. You are his beloved. Second point, you are a new creation. The old has passed away, and that's a death. Like It's like the old has died, and the new has come. If you've come to faith in Christ, if you've confessed, yes, Lord, I, I, I have failed, I need your forgiveness, and I receive this new life that you have for me. If you've made that, that declaration, that, that con- commitment in your own heart, then the old has passed away. And the new creation has come. And now there might be a period of understanding and learning and growing and becoming that new creation. It's like a child that's a baby that is nowhere near able to do or achieve or understand what they will become. But it's all there. It's the same thing when we come to Christ. It's like it's all there. Now we need to grow in it. Now we need to, to mature into it so that we can see the fullness of, of God's purpose for us. But you are a new creation. It's the truth. You are a new creation. It's not like something you're hoping for. It is. The new creation has happened. You know, baptism was an amazing moment at camp. I just loved ending camp with, uh, with a baptism. It was so powerful. I love doing it in uh, natural waters. Um, it's just, uh, just such a, a, a perfect uh, environment for, uh, for baptism. But it's a representation of that death going down into the water and the resurrection coming back up. That The old you is left behind and the new you has come as you come to Christ. And you know, part of that new you is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We've, we've talked about that. Um, greater is he who's in you than he that is in the world. Sometimes things in the world can seem overwhelming and daunting. But the truth is the one that is in you is greater than anything of the enemy that you would see around us. Any of the works of the devil that you might see around us. Third point, your encounters or experience with God will bring understanding. And it will change how you think, perceive life, and therefore act. You know, after this encounter, Gideon could never look at life the same way. Even, even if he walked away and didn't step into the purposes of God, he would forever be changed by that, by that moment because God had spoken so clearly to him and confronted his, his uh, belief systems. Um, we've often tried to deal with our behavior first, uh, but that's not how we achieve lasting change. Lasting change happens when our underlying belief systems and thought patterns are transformed by the Holy Spirit through revelation and encounter. It's those moments where the Lord speaks to us that we can have powerful change as it changes how we think and how we see ourselves and what we believe. We have been given power and authority to overcome in this life. And when God speaks, it carries a creative power to produce what he has spoken. The fourth point that I really want us all to to take away from from this, this time is that your life matters to God. Every life matters. Your life matters to God. Your, your life is something precious to him. He has such incredible plans and purposes. When he shaped you and formed you and created you, he had something amazing in mind, something that, that he envisioned that, that, you would, that, that you would be on this earth. 
And it's not that everyone else is necessarily even going to see it. It's not that everybody's going to be a, a public persona. But God sees what happens. You know, the little things matter. The, the little acts of kindness, the, the thoughtful words, the prayers, the, the ministry, the support, the encouragement, all of these things matter. They are so significant in the kingdom. You know, your life matters to God. Where he has sent you matters to him. The places that you go matter to him. The things that you, that you do, the things that you can impact matter to him. Your life is significant. And the last point is that you are a co-heir with Jesus. And as a result, you have a co-mission with him. You see, we're given a great commission, but it's a co-mission. It's with him. It's our mission with him. He, he said, I am with you always. I will never leave you. God has always pursued partnership with humanity, as we, we've talked about. Even from the very beginning, Adam named and identified uh, the animals. He gave them an identity. You know, Jesus asked Peter to feed my sheep. As you co-labor with God, know that what you have is enough. That you are a co-heir, you have a commission with him, and that he's given you what you need. You, what you have is enough. You know, when Jesus fed the, the 5,000 and the 4,000, he often said to the disciples, you give them something to eat. And they said, well, we don't have any. And he said, well, what do you have? Sometimes it's just a matter of what do you have? And all they had was a few fish and, and some loaves, and it was enough. In the hands of the Lord, it was enough. You see, what you have is enough, not because of you, but because of him. Because Christ in you is the hope of glory. So what you have is enough for the Lord to do what he wants to do. You have a purpose to impact the world with the love of Jesus working through you. Who do you think you are this morning, this afternoon? Who, who do you think you are? Who, who, what goes on? What is your narrative? And I believe the Lord wants to take that and speak his identity into you, who he says you are. And maybe today you've never actually come to faith in Christ. Maybe you've never made that, that step to begin that relationship. And, and right now you, you're feeling that, that you want to. It's like, wow, that, that's a way I haven't thought about this. Or I've never made this move, but I'm ready now. I just encourage you right now to allow the Holy Spirit to just take you into a new place, that you will become a, a new creation. I want to pray with you. If you, if you feel the, lo the Lord stirring you right now, I want to pray with you that, that, uh, to help you um, make that move and make that step today. So just pray with me as, uh, as, the, as the Lord stirs your heart. Lord Jesus, thank you that you have made a way to forgive my sin. Thank you that you became sin for me. That I might become the righteousness of God. I receive your forgiveness today. And I thank you that you are making me a new creation. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. It's been a pleasure 
Uh, so excited just to talk about how great our God is and, and what he's done for each and every one of us. And I just encourage you all to go in faith and conviction and confidence that the Lord is with you wherever you go. Amen.